Eternal Kingdom is written by Michelle Roger. This book is edited by Brendan McWilliams. Sound engineered by Steve Nett of Computer Room Services. Graphic novel drawn by Tom Duncan. Music composed, performed, and recorded by Michelle Roger. Eternal Kingdom, Chapter 2 The stadium shook from its concrete foundations up to the announcer's box and threw the battered chair at Jim McCormick's window seat. The wooden, antique seat had sailed across the rim too many times to count in the excitement of innumerable nail-blighter endings in past tight rugby matches. This game was far worse. Two of the best rival teams had scores climbing point for point on either side. The World Cup Championship was online, and the beat-up old chair sailed across the announcer's box and landed feet up in the corner as Jim kneeled on the counter. His face and microphone headset pressed against the glass as he described the play on the pitch. The pass goes to tree trunks as the clock winds down to naught. The ball is still in play, folks. That's just a few meters of hope left for the Wallabies. Good luck catching this All Blacks farm boy from the wire wrapper. Look at those legs! Jim hollered, making himself hoarse. In under a minute, Stadium New Zealand thundered with cheers. Jim joined the throng of ecstatic fans announcing, Captain Tree Trunks Davies delivers the win as he crosses the try line and makes the win for winning try for the World Cup and the New Zealand All Blacks. Helen Davies had been watching from the team suite and found herself in a rare display of affectionate happiness as she hugged her husband's manager, Ray Hanslow. There's no stopping our boy now, laughed Ray. Helen smiled as she peeled his groping hands off of her gratuitous bottom. We're set for life. The endorsements alone will bring in seven figures. Seven figures? Who's tapped Robbie? Helen asked, nearly wincing. It was always the same old locals trying to make good on Robbie's humble beginnings. It isn't another tractor commercial, is it? She asked wearily. Tractors don't deliver seven figures, Ray. She said it loud enough to make a few of the happy supporters find their way to the other side of the room. Ray's hands returned to Helen's lower back as he leaned in to whisper in her ear. You haven't got many friends, Helen. Don't make an enemy out of me. To the press and the world, you're the good Christian farm wife of Tree Trunks Davies, but I know who you really are. Helen turned her head and stared straight at Ray as if to challenge him to tell her. Your French manicured fake nails and your Louis Vuitton sunglasses, they're just the tip of the iceberg. Your cash cow just won the fucking World Cup, and I'm the man who has his ear and his loyalty. At this, Ray gripped her wrist tightly and pulled her ear close to his mouth. Now, if you're a good girl, I may be able to talk Mercedes into two cars, eh? You'd look good in a convertible. She pulled away slightly but didn't remove Ray's wandering hand. You give me what I want and I will return the bloody favor. I have a long list of demands and my first is tonight. Robbie needs some TLC from his wife. Why don't you go slip into something a bit sexier and make sure the golden boy 
is made happy tonight. Be a good wife, and I'll make sure you get everything you deserve. The room was full of beer-swilling suits from the ball club, big contributors waiting to congratulate the team and their captain. Helen quietly made her way up to the private suite without anyone taking notice and waited upstairs for her husband. In the suite, she poured a glass of wine and filled the tub with hot, soapy water. With a long night ahead of her, she indulged in the spa amenities. To her surprise, Robbie came bursting through the door, interrupting her bath. He hooped and laughed, finding her naked. This day just keeps getting better. He started peeling off his shirt and compression shorts. He stopped short to kiss her hard. His kiss tasted of beer and sweat. Don't you have interviews? she asked as soon as he returned to stripping off his clothes. While she was willing to meet Ray's laundry list of keeping Robbie happy, she had hoped for a hot bath and a few Chardonnays if she had to bet him. Your husband just scores the winning try for the World Cup and comes in to kiss you, and you're worried about the bloody interviews? He looked crestfallen, and for a moment, Helen felt bad. Robbie pulled off his socks, and a cake of dried mud fell onto the slate bathroom tile. You're not coming in here, are you? Helen asked, putting her hands protectively over her bubbles as if they were her fortress. Why not? Robbie asked enticingly sauntering over to the tub with a tipsy swagger in his step. Helen stared at his filthy body covered in dirt, mud, sweat, and blood with revolt. Whatever you wash off in here, I'll be soaking in it once you're out, she protested. Robbie stopped his feeble attempt to seduce his wife. He mumbled something under his breath and stomped over to the shower, turning the nozzle on full blast while he shook his head in a brewing anger. He whipped around to stare at Helen directly in the eyes. The success of the day and a few beers had loosened his tongue and lessened his patience. I'm standing on the edge of middle age, and yet I'm in the best shape of my life. Do you know how many women wish their husbands had half the physique I have? A few minutes ago, I won the fucking World Cup. The money's pouring in. Long gone are the days of helping to milk cows on the dairy, Helen. You want for nothing, thanks to me. And all I wanted was to celebrate with my wife. You're right. I don't want to come in the tub with you. The water's probably as cold as ice, just like you. He was shouting by the end of his speech, whereupon he slammed the glass shower door. Helen sat in the suds, her heart pounding. They had spent so little time together since Robbie had gone on the road that it was shocking to hear him yell. She pulled herself out of the suds and wrapped herself in a towel. She stopped and stared at the reflection in the mirror and barely recognized herself. Her nails were perfect, like Ray said, nothing like her hands when she and Robbie ran the dairy. Her hair had professional highlights. Her figure was fuller from all of the celebrating and social event food and drink. If she didn't fuck him tonight, certainly some other woman would, gladly. If the other women only knew how lonely her life had been, if they knew how difficult it was to be married to an all-star, they'd think twice about betting him, she thought to herself, the hours of boredom sitting in hotel rooms all over the world. Robbie had suggested heading a charity like some of the other wives, but what was she supposed to do, adopt an orphan? 
Thinking of his celebrity reminded her of what Ray had said downstairs. They were playing in the big leagues now. Helen stared back at herself in the mirror. Was she ready to go back to being a farmer's wife? Or was she willing to play her role in a game much bigger than a rugby field? Finding her wine next to the tub, she drank the glass in one large gulp. She took a deep breath and returned to the mirror. She unwrapped the towel from her body and pulled on the clip in her hair. Her golden locks fell to her shoulders, just the way he liked it. Opening the shower door, steam billowed out into the bathroom. She pulled it shut and stood behind her husband. In the confines of the shower, she made out the bruises forming on his shoulders. She kissed them gently as she wrapped her arms around his chest. He didn't respond. Clearly, she had her work cut out for her if she was going to quell his anger. She slowly ran her perfectly manicured fingertips down his six-pack and kissed his spine. A low moan escaped his lips, and Helen knew she had control once again. It was too easy, really. In a relationship, there's always one who loves more, one more deeply devoted than the other. Robbie was as loving and loyal as a Labrador. He annoyed her with his canine, wide-eyed neediness, and all the same, he had outperformed her expectations, and that did deserve a reward. Moving her hand slowly down to his groin, she caressed him until he was firm in her hand. He tried to turn to face and kiss her, but she insisted on staying the course. Slowly at first, and then quickening her touch, she watched his muscular forearms ripple and his hands gripped the tile wall. She quickened her motion until she felt his entire body tense. He stretched his neck and tilted his head backwards towards her. With her free hand, she guided his head so her lips met his ear, kissing the lobe and whispering to him. His hand clenched into a fist and he hit the wall. She let the warm water run over him and her hand as he finished, exhaling and leaning back into her breast as he relaxed. He turned to her, switching places so that the hot water might warm her skin. Well, that's a better start to the night, he said, and he almost sounded happy. She knew by morning the whole fight and her open disdain for him would be forgotten. He kissed the top of her head and stepped out into the bathroom, toweling his hair as he headed to the bedroom. Hurry up, Ray will be chomping at the bit for us to mingle. Helen half-smiled, wrapping herself from head to toe in towels in a moment of self-consciousness. You go ahead. I'll catch up to you. Just text me from the pub, and I'll find you. She knew he wouldn't protest to an endless supply of flowing beer in his immediate future. She noticed his chest muscles bulking out of his silk-blue shirt, and she congratulated herself on recommending he change to a tailored suit for his meeting with the press in public. Robbie still wore it well, even bruised and battered after a game. Tree Trunks kissed his wife goodnight. He knew full well she would never venture out to find him for the rest of the evening. The Brew on Quay pub was packed to its rafters with fans of both All Blacks and Wallabies. The press, screaming girls, and fans too drunk to be allowed in by the bouncers were held back by police in yellow tape. These were Robbie's kinds of people, the salt of the earth. He stood next to the roped-off area, signing autographs and taking selfies with girls brave enough to push the drunks out of their way. Ray stood to the side with an 
emulsion of envy and pride. It was hard to respect anyone who made millions by playing a game. But Robbie was different. He still wore the watch his father gave him when he could have traded in for a Rolex. He took pictures, gave interviews, visited farm kids in hospitals whose families worked too much or lived too far to visit. Robbie was true blue, and Ray would follow that man to the end of the earth. Inside the pub, both All Black and Wallabies were laughing, analyzing the plays, and all around getting mindlessly drunk with local and fan alike. Andy, one of the owners, sat back and counted his blessings in an unexpected tidal wave of prosperity. The winners were buying rounds for the losers, and the two sides were competing to see who could drink more. It was an added bonus that his team had won, and he had lightened the wallets of three particularly wealthy Aussies, who had dared place hefty wagers on the game the night before. When Tree Trunks Davies walked in, the place exploded with cheers. There was no way in the world the All Blacks captain could possibly drink all of the beer that had been bought for him, but God loved a man who would sincerely try, and Davies was the man for the job. He shook the hands of friends and strangers. He hugged and kissed their wives. With Ray at his side, Davies recounted the thoughts going through his head in the last nine seconds of the game, leading to the winning try. Making his way to each table, the story got bigger, the odds got tougher, and the admiration for tree trunks grew deeper. I tried to fake out Nuke Lancaster. He runs defense so well you'd almost think he was an all-black. Almost. Laughter erupted. I told Ray here maybe we should try to recruit him, but then I found out why they call him Nuke. The harder he farts, the faster he runs. That guy smelled like rotten chickens in a sulfur factory when we tried to make a tackle. Even the Wallaby fans joined the table in falling down laughter. Davy stumbled his way to the men's room to find the line of impatient patrons at the brink of a fistfight. Instead, he blearily stumbled to the service entrance and opened the back door to the alley. Holding himself up with one hand and using the other hand to unzip his fly, his drunken brain had trouble focusing on little else. When he was done, he was surprised to find three men standing behind him. Hey, mate, he said to the one closest to him. Are you a Spates or a Tui man? There was no reply from any of the three. No worries, then. I'll buy a picture of each, and I'll let you decide when you're done. Davies began to make his way to the door, but one of the men leaned against it, keeping it shut. I'm afraid it would take a hell of a lot more than beer for you to pay me back. You see, I lost a lot of bloody money, no thanks to you, the taller man seethed. Davies swayed and giggled. Uh-oh, in trouble with the missus, are ya? No worries. Nothing a beer and a week on the couch can't fix. Even in his drunken stupor, Davies knew he was in a tight spot. He wondered where Ray could be and why he wasn't looking for him yet. I bet my manager Ray can come up with something nice to smooth it over. Let's go talk to him. We already did, said the man at the door. He thinks you might pass on the sports anchor job and play one more year. A third man, who had been fuzzy in Davy's line of sight, suddenly stepped into the back door light. He was holding a shovel. I think you need to remember your humble beginnings on the farm. Tell me, tree trunks, what's this called? As he asked the question, the man swung the shovel in the air, and the flat metal head made full contact with Davy's lower spine. 
The world spun, and Davies couldn't decipher between up or down as he fell to the ground. He felt the shovel again, this time the sharp corner penetrating his kidney. He tried to scream, but his brain was too busy thinking of a way out. The pain was so great and so instant, Davies instantly began to vomit. Two more hits, and the world grew dark. He heard the squeak of the hinges of the door. There was a lot of shouting, but Davies couldn't make out the words. Footsteps came towards him, and then the pain enveloped him like a thick, black tar. Blackness. Silence. The first thing Robbie Davies saw when he opened his eyes was the exhausted and distraught face of Ray. He was saying something to him, something about the press, a statement. Davies felt detached. It was as if his mind were separate from his body. Was he dead? He wasn't sure. It certainly felt like he was floating. He searched the room for Helen. Why wasn't she there? A swarm of doctors and nurses hovered over him like bees conducting an orchestra with tubes and monitors. As they reached their crescendo, Robbie felt a wave of unconsciousness wash over him again, and he was gone.